Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, from players supposedly too small, coaches that kept winning and coming back, and the Hall of Fame's first official inducted, we review the careers of the eight newest members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, let's get it started. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you guys and gals. It's cool. Again, if you already know this stuff, congratulations, especially today's show. Uh, but there's always someone else who does it and probably didn't pay attention this weekend. <laughs> this show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we are here to enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Go to the website bellyupsports.com click on it read the articles check out the merch and listen to the shows especially this one and you can catch us all on our home base of Spreaker that's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R and the all famous Apple Podcast Spotify and of course there's Google Podcasts Amazon Music Stitcher iHeartRadio and YouTube for you YouTube watchers so first and foremost I must must apologize for the lateness of my show Normally, this show is dropping Wednesday mornings. It's available at 6 a.m. Uh, we had technical issues. All right. So we're a whole 24 hours and then some late. OK, so when you get up tomorrow or if you listen later on tonight, uh, the show will be available. OK, it's Thursday. It's Thursday and it's what, 515 in the afternoon. So, look, I'm sorry about that, but we're here. So, but here we are. Um, so, oh, one more thing. There will be no show next Wednesday. Okay. I'm taking my son off to college. So this coming up Tuesday, I will not be recording, um, Wednesday. Uh, we're just going to take the week, you know, and, and, and chill out and we're going to come back strong and we'll continue our journey on this NFL history. Everything that you don't know, as well as the stuff that you do know and just enjoy to hear again. So, anyway, so who watched the Pro Football Hall of Fame on Saturday? I enjoyed it. All right, so mostly because, and I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't really been investing a lot of time in watching it, and I have no idea how long they've been doing this, but now everybody's speech is limited to like eight minutes or something like that. They have an eight-minute window. So, this year is when I'm just now realizing this. I see who's going in. I may tune in for a few minutes, you know, off and on during that uh, induction day, but I won't watch the entire thing. 
This time was the first time in a long time. I actually watched just about the entire thing. Uh, I think I missed out most of Bryant Young's speech. I mean, I had it on in my pocket. I had to leave work and go to Whole Foods because I was watching it while I was doing my, my radio station gig. And uh, it's very enjoyable being able to take in the speeches when they're not 40 minutes long. You know, I, those who go to church, y'all know this. I won't be before you long. Sometimes I even say that. And I'm thinking the show is going to be about 20 minutes or, or, or shorter than that. Or maybe about 20 minutes. And I've ended up going almost an hour. You just never know with the content. I don't think I'll be before you long today. It'll be ironic if I am. But let's just get to it. So, I mean, I actually enjoyed watching it. And, you know, how it used to be. These guys were up there for... Pfft, during near an hour, and it just seemed like forever. And I hate to be one of those guys that's already in there, sitting there in my gold jacket, and this guy's going on and on. And it's great. Get your platform, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime day that you'll have and an opportunity, especially those who are not being posthumously inducted into the Hall of Fame. So it was just great seeing that and, and enjoying that. So... But today's show, today's show is basically a review. Not everybody watches the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If you did, you're going to hear some stuff that you already heard again. And if you didn't, well, that's what I'm here for. Kick the music. For 12 years, Leroy Butler was a dominant strong safety for the Green Bay Packers. A four-time All-Pro, the inventor of the Lambeau Leap. 38 interceptions, returned for, what, 533 yards and a touchdown, 20 and a half sacks almost what 890 regular season tackles uh he played in the super bowl twice he super bowl 31 champ that's leroy butler's career in a nutshell as far as the nfl that's just the, the you know the cliff's notes version stat wise he became the 28th member of the green bay packers to be inducted into the pro football hall of fame the chicago bears their division rival are the only franchise that have more they have 30. one thing though about Leroy Butler is that he made the safety position look fun. And if you didn't have a chance to watch him play, you know, he seemed to always be smiling, even with his helmet on. Uh, I'm sure you guys out there, somebody out there played backyard football. Y'all played in the Turkey Bowl on Thanksgiving. One of those or, or all of those, right? You know, the, one of the favorite positions that I always wanted to play on defense was safety. But that was to be able to move around. Safety and linebacker. I want to be there in the middle of the scrum. You know, I want to get in on the tackle. And that's what Leroy Butler did a lot of. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's great to pick off passes and stuff like that. That's what the glory for that is. I want to be in the scrum. I love tackling and getting in there. That You know, especially playing, um, playing the backyard football. That's growing up. That's what I like. Uh, but even going back to that day in 1993, the guy made the game look fun, right? Uh, the Packers, they were hosting the Raiders. And he showed just how fun football could be playing that position. And according to PackersNews.com's Tom Dombeck, Butler, and I quote, Butler forced a fumble against the Los Angeles Raiders, which was picked up by fellow Hall of Famer Reggie White. And he tossed the ball back to the safety along the sidelines, allowing Butler to race into the south end zone of Lambeau and into the waiting arms of celebrating 
fans. He's jumping in the stands with the rest of the fans, something that no one had done before. And I think it may have been Gilbert Brown I read that he said, you know, I was like, okay, what is he doing? And he ran, he runs past the white lines. Like, what is he? He's actually jumping up there in the crowd with the fans. And I mean, that right there is just, it's something that if you think about it, and I never played pro football, obviously, but you know, you catch all kinds of stuff from fans. And sometimes it's not very great. <laughs> well, a lot of times it's not very good, especially if you stink. But that was something that helped the players to connect with fans even more during a game. I mean, imagine you being a fan and let alone being a um one that's you know you, you you love seeing these guys on TV. You go to the games, but to be able to hug them and cheer and cheer and and um, and be able to celebrate a touchdown with the actual NFL player, that's cool. When I hear the name Sam Mills, the first thing I think of is the Dome Patrol. And if you don't know who the Dome Patrol was, and New Orleans Saints fans, you guys should know uh, because that was the nickname of the linebacking unit for the Saints. I think it was late 80s and the 90s, the early 90s. And that consisted of Pat Swilling, Ricky Jackson, Von Johnson, and Sam Mills. Mills was just a 5'9 linebacker. He was out of Montclair State University. I think that, that school is in New Jersey somewhere. And he was supposed to be too small to play middle linebacker, the, that position. They wanted somebody to be able to see you know, over the lineman. Mills was cut after the preseason in 1981 he had spent that with the cleveland browns but then head coach sam retigliano he called up an old friend and then this guy carl peterson who was the same carl peterson who would lure some guy by the name of dick vermeil to coach his kansas city team as the gm right before that peterson was the gm of the philadelphia stars of the usfl Mills established himself as the best all-around defensive player in the USFL, along with some other guy by the name of Richie White, another Hall of Famer. We just got through mentioning his name. But as you should know, USFL only lasted, what, three years? It was shut down after 1985. They got a grand total of basically a dollar after the uh, taxes and fees, right? Um, it was shut down in 85, and Mills actually got his first shot at the NFL with New Orleans Saints, with the New Orleans Saints. In 1986, under Jim Moore Sr., who was his coach with the Stars. And he was 27 years old, and he would go on to start 125 of 133 games over the next nine seasons. Mills played under Moore with the Stars, and he saw something in the man. And that's one reason why you bring somebody over that you think can play on this level and it's like, okay, we're going to give you your shot. And clearly he could. We're talking about him right now, right? Uh, fast forward to 1995, you have two expansion teams that will join the NFL, Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers. Mills was a free agent that season and eventually signed with Carolina, and he played three years for the Panthers. At the age of 37, he was an uh, all-pro and a pro bowler uh, after passing uh, excuse me, posting 122 tackles, 90 solo, and five and a half sacks. He finished his 12-year career with almost 1,270 tackles, 1,265 to be exact, in the regular season. 20 and a half sacks and three touchdowns. 
He was a five-time Pro Bowler, a first-team All-Pro in 1996, and of course, Mills passed away from cancer at the age of 45, intestinal cancer, um, in 2005. But before he did, he continued um, to set a tone for his legacy and what would basically uh, his final honor this past Saturday going along with his enshrinement. Keep pounding. He was a defensive assistant and linebackers coach for the Panthers from 98 to 2004. Now, 2003, uh, the Panthers under uh, head coach John Fox then, they were 11-5 that year. They would go all the way to the Super Bowl, losing the thriller, you know, to the New England Patriots, you know, on a field goal, uh, that last second kick. Um, But Mills had a motto that was adopted, and that was to keep pounding. And the fans kept that going, and the organization has kept that going. And that was a speech that he had given during the wild card playoff game during that year, the first playoff game. And it was against the Dallas Cowboys in which they beat the Cowboys 29 to 10. That that was a really good team that Carolina had that year. Steve Smith Sr., Musa Muhammad, y'all remember them? Steven Davis, Ricky Prohl had come over from St. Louis. Julius Peppers, Chris Jenkins was all pro, Mike Rucker, Dan Morgan. I love watching him in Miami, but he was really good for Carolina too. Uh, Mike Mentor, Deion Grant, uh, and even <laughs> quarterback Jake DeLone. He came out of nowhere. And it was great seeing that man get inducted. His wife, Melanie, gave the speech. Jim Moore was also there, um, and God knows who else. Uh, along with some of his old teammates from Montclair State and the head coach, his old head coach. That was great to see. Now, like I said earlier, the Jacksonville Jaguars were the other expansion team outside of the Panthers to come in as a new franchise in 95. And the first pick of the draft was Kijana Carter, running back out of Penn State. I thought that guy was going to be an absolute beast, but he stayed hurt a lot. So it's just, but I always wonder, because remember, he tore his, uh, his uh, not Achilles, but he tore up his ACL on his third carry in his first preseason game. And throughout his career, you know, he played for three different teams and he actually played seven years, but he was always hurt. Never was able to reach the potential that he showed while he was the running back at Penn State. The second pick right after him only played seven years as well. Don Bosco Anthony Baselli Jr., who was drafted by Jacksonville out of USC. The thing is, um, Baselli, you know, while he was on the field, he was as dominant a left tackle as there was in the NFL, period. And I know people think of the Jacksonville Jaguars, I mean, now, somewhat of a joke. I mean, they, they've been struggling. They've had their good years, though. But you go all the way back to those years where they were being coached by Tom Coughlin. They, they, their first year, they were 4-12. But after that, he turned that team around. And that's why I think that Coughlin one day will be inducted into the Pro Football of Fame. I really believe that. Um, but Coughlin, and it'll be a tough, and it'll be, ooh, it'll be some back and forth with that. And that's just me. That's just me. I'm not saying that he should be. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be. But the way some of these things are set up and him turning around teams and winning the Super Bowls that they won and getting those teams into the playoffs the way that he had, I think that he's worthy. That's just me. That's just me. Um, but they went on a four-year run from the, the, the early 90s to the late 90s, 96, 97, 98, and 99. 
and what 96 they went nine and seven this is the expansion team remember 97 they were 11 and five the next year they were 11 and five and they peaked in 99 and 14 and two and at that time Pizzelli was really at his best and from 96 to 2000 he was a five-time pro bowler and a first team all pro three straight seasons again he only played seven years why shoulder injuries and not to mention the torn ACL at the end of that 14-2 season. They was the last regular season game, and he missed the playoffs and everything. But in 2000, he came back to start all 16 games. He even got some votes for Comeback Player of the Year. Um, there was a little bit of con controversy concerning his shoulder surgeries, and he blamed his career be being shortened because of those surgeries. But whatever the case may be, this guy belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I put him in the exact same category as Terrell Davis, Lynn Swan, Gail Sayers, for example. These guys didn't play more than seven to eight years in the NFL, but when they played, they dominated. They were great. So was Tony Baselli. The Jaguars' first pick ever became their first Hall of Famer. Richard Seymour was about as dominant a defensive lineman that you could have. And for the life of me, you know, I just at that at the point, I, and I'm, I don't understand it now, but at that time, I didn't understand why Bill Belichick let him go. Why did they trade him? Why did they trade him? But knowing what Belichick, knowing now, you understand it a lot better, because Belichick didn't make any moves without having some foresight, right? But you know, when Seymour was traded, he wasn't happy. When he was traded away to the Raiders, he did not want to go. But to be fair, um, and this is entirely based upon numbers, and I'm not saying that Seymour didn't do anything towards the end of his career in New England before playing those four years in Oakland, Belichick got the best out of him for about six straight seasons. Of course, he was drafted first round 2001. I remember watching him at Georgia, you know, being a UT fan. Like, I hate to see him coming. Uh, they won a Super Bowl his rookie year, but from 02 to 06, Five straight Pro Bowls, three-time, uh, three-time All-Pro, three straight seasons. 2007, he missed half the season. He started started what only eight games. And that was due to some off-season knee surgery. We still played in the Super Bowl. The next year, he started 15 games, and during the last four years with the Raiders, he was a two-time Pro Bowler. And you know, you had those injuries. Despite all of that, he rebounded and proved just how great that he was. Pro Football Hall of Famer. Uh, I don't want to hear any more about the Patriots not having Hall of Famers uh, you know, on their teams. There's yet another one. You know, there you go. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here's to the great American settlers, the millions of you who settled for unsatisfying jobs because they pay the bills. Of course, there is something else you could do if you got something to say. Start a podcast with Spreaker from iHeart and unleash your creative freedom. Maybe even earn enough money to one day tell your old boss, hey, I'm no settler. I'm an explorer. Spreaker.com. S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. 
hustle on over today. I remember having this guy's football card, Art McNally. I didn't really know who he was. You know, it, it took some some paying attention to really get to know who Art McNally really was. And who was a, uh, apparently he was an official at one time, but at the time I had his football card, he had another job in the NFL. Um, the first official to ever be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Some may ask, well, okay, well, what did he do? First thing I heard, basically with an official being elected and even seeing it on like Twitter and stuff like that, was like, oh, he's an official. He'll do nothing but screw up things. I mean, there's not a lot of people out there, to be fair, you know, uh, but there's not a lot of people that like, especially fans, <laughs> they don't like officials very much, especially in the NFL. Well, any sport, but... In the NFL, it just seems to stand out even more. And again, to be fair, he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame not because he was an official. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But he was elected because he was a contributor. Well, let's tell you exactly who he was or who he is. He just turned 97 July 1st of this year. He's still around and kicking, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so he actually officiated his first game during World War II for the Marines. He was in the Marines, and they were organizing some teams, and he was selected to officiate the games because he was, and I quote, a straight shooter, and he basically would call the game as it should be. Now, according to ProFootballHallOfFame.com, and I quote, Art McNally served as an NFL official for nine years. He was a field judge in 1959, and he was a referee from 60 to 67 before he was hired as the NFL's supervisor of officials in 1968. Upon his appointment, he soon installed the first formal film study program for training and evaluation of football officials in professional sports, end quote. In the 1970s, uh, you fast forward to that, that point, so they're starting to open up offense, right? And... 1978, we know what rule went down. Get to that in a quick second. So the owners wanted more offense. And I'm sure the fans did too. Because if you go back and watch a lot of those old films, it's it can be a little tough to watch. You know, just run, smashing into the line, smashing into the line. There's hardly any passing. And when they do throw, it, it can be really, really exciting. I mean, just ask anybody today when they turn on the TV. Um, they switched up the rules. And who was it? It was Art McNally. He got the goalpost out of the way. Remember, the goalpost was on the front of the goal line. I still don't understand why they did that. Why is the goalpost that close? Why did you put something like that in the... Wow. I, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> that just made no sense to me. But he got the goalpost out of the way. He moved the hash marks, and that opened up the field a little bit more. 
Uh, he also introduced illegal contact. And then the all-important 1978 five-yard chuck rule for receivers. The DBs couldn't put their hands on them. They couldn't run free after those five yards. And that just opened things really up in 1978. And the passing game flourished. It was McNally who brought the technological aspect of officiating to pro football. He embraced technology. It's like, let's get it right. Going all the way back to the Marines. And he was a guy that was a straight shooter, right? He was said to be one that was going to call the game as it was, right? And reading about him and hearing about him, he was a guy that didn't speak a whole lot. But when he spoke, he would tell you why. And I'm not sure I, because I can't call or really speak to any personal experience whatsoever or even seeing him officiate a game. I wasn't born until 1977. But of all accounts, I mean, the guy was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If he was a, a good official, he was a good official. And he was a fair official. That's what the, the way the man is described as and what he is even to this day. He, he was fair and he wanted to be fair and he wanted to call a game fair and at the same time he was teaching other officials to call a game just as fair as he would now everybody gets the memo I understand that and even with some of the technology they can still mess up well I mean <laughs> raise your hand if you've never made a mistake even with help you know some people ignore some of the most simple things in this life but he did introduce that stuff and he also was the father of instant replay they instituted it in 1986 and he was at the forefront of that now go all the way back to 1968 again he was named the supervisor of officials and he held that position until he retired in 1991 but almost immediately he took the same position with the world league of american football in 1992 and even though he was doing that he remained a consultant with the nfl in you know all the way to what 1994 i think in 1994 but then when the world league went away from 95 to 2007 mcnally he returned to the nfl as an assistant supervisor of officials and he put his flag there and he continued to help and guide and do all of the things when it came down to the fairness of the game and officiating the game and I also have to quote in, uh, from the Pro Football Hall of Fame.com. In 2002, Commissioner Paul Tagliabue created the annual Art McNally Award, which honors an NFL game official who exhibits exemplary professionalism, leadership, and commitment to sportsmanship on and off the field. The man worked at some level of professional football for 58 years. 48 as an official part of the NFL. That's a long time, 48 years, jeez Louise. And if you didn't hear Chris Berman say it, during the Hall of Fame ceremonies, I'll say it. 16 referees in all the other professional halls of fame. There are 16, except for football. Art McNally is the first in pro football. Congratulations. Okay, so, this one is a slight embarrassment for me on my part. If you don't already know, I used to be a 49ers fan. I was a San Francisco 49ers fan until the way that, you know, the exit of Jerry Rice went. I was I was upset. Again, I did not understand the free agency stuff. I didn't understand 
Joe Montana, you know, even though he was aged and, and he, he was hurt there towards the end and they let him walk in favor of Steve Young, I couldn't stand that. And then my favorite player ever, and then when they threw Terrell Owens 20-something passes, and on Jerry Rice Day, I was livid. And after that game, I was done. <laughs> I was. I, I was done. But anyway, do with that what you will. Bryant Young was a rookie. In 1994, the year the 49ers last won the Super Bowl. Steve Young, Jerry Rice, stack team. Jerry Rice, Ricky Waters, John Taylor, Brent Jones, Harris, Barton, Jesse, Jesse Sapolo, um, Steve Wallace. All these guys, they were on the 49ers offense and had been on the team for some years. But on the defensive side is where it got really interesting. And it reminds me a little bit of the L.A. Rams when you, know, you bring in Jalen Ramsey. And you bring in Von Miller and you know, some other guys, um, kind of a super team of sorts. Both sides of the ball. You, know, you had OBJ and whatnot, right? But on the defensive side of the ball, just what it reminds me of. And then you had some guys that came in from other squads, whether they were in division or from elsewhere. And Young was a part of that defense that had Ken Norton, who came from the Cowboys, Deion Sanders, who was coming over from the Falcons. Gary Plummer, who had been a linebacker for the San Diego Chargers since 1986. He was on the right side of that 49 to 26 beatdown of his former team uh, in Super Bowl 29 that year. Then you had Richard Dent, who had come over from the Bears and Toy Cook, as well as Dawn Patrol man, Ricky Jackson, who come over from the, the New Orleans Saints. Tim McDonald, the safety, he came, came over from the Cardinals. So Bryant Young being surrounded by all of that uh, let's just say being on that squad on both sides of the ball and having all of these Hall of Famers to be on these teams, on, on, on those teams that he played on early and winning the Super Bowl, even though they never got back to that point from his rookie year. I mean, the guy had to learn something from these guys in not only being a professional, but pushing to be the best. And he's inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I just kind of lost, you know, his, his career kind of got lost in my personal shuffle because I wasn't keeping up with the 49ers like that because I was mad. I was. The Steve Mariucci years, yeah, get out of here, man. <laughs> I wasn't feeling it. I really wasn't. I'm sorry, Steve, if, if you were ever able to listen to this show, if he ever listens, you know, I want him to know I'm sorry. 49ers fans, I'm sorry. Part of me kind of regrets it, but I was upset and I'm not going to go back. I'm going to honor, you know, my fandom with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It runs in the family anyway. I was the only 49ers fan. Um, I loved both teams. You know, it's just one of those things. But those teams, they were they were stacked. Those those uh, those years that he got that footing and learning to win. And that was great. That was great. I know those teams weren't great uh, there towards the end, but he was a Hall of Famer. He played 14 years for the 49ers. He was a four-time Pro Bowler. 96, he was a first-team All-Pro the year I graduated high school. And he was a three-time second-team All-Pro and even got votes for Defensive Player of the Year uh, in that 96 season. I don't know what it is, though, about Monday Night Football, the New York Giants, and ugly injuries. But week 13 in 1998, Brian Young, he suffered a broken leg. 
obviously his season was done and you're kind of questioning, okay, is this guy going to be able to get back? And it being that late in the year, week 13, not week one, two, three. This is week 13, you know, in 17 weeks. Can he come back from a broken leg like that? A metal rod inserted and all of those, you know, in the surgery and whatnot. Well, he was able to come back that next season. Somehow, some way, he recovered. In 1999, he started all 16 games. He had 11 sacks. And he not only made the Pro Bowl, he won Comeback Player of the Year. That's great. I mean, and his greatness spoke to and that play spoke to what he was able to overcome. And, you know, thank God for healing. But he was able to overcome it and come back and continue to play. And by the time he retired, he finished his career with 89 and a half sacks. He started every game he played in. He started 208 games, 14 years. Plus, he was named to the NFL's all decade team of the 1990s. All right, this next one, what can I say about Oakland Raiders wide receiver Cliff Branch? Hmm. Long time coming. I mean, the guy deserved to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This was a guy always always caping up for. Always. He should be in there. He needs to be in there. Now, this is in my own mind, okay? My comparison with Cliff Branch was always with Lynn Swan. Why? Because Lynn's already in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He only played eight seasons. But and he was a guy that never had a thousand yards either in a season, but yet he was still great. And remember, because of the era that they played in, that Lynn Swan as well as Cliff Branch played in, it wasn't geared towards passing the football that much. You know, aside from the AFL that was throwing the football over the lot in the 70s, I mean, excuse me, in the 60s, uh, when you get into the 70s, it, it was more NFL ball. Guys weren't throwing the football. Not everybody was throwing the football all over the place. But most of it was geared towards running the football. And if you had a thousand yards, that was a feat. That was great. It was. Now, you didn't have a lot of those guys getting a thousand. When it comes down to those numbers, you could throw that stuff out. And the fact is that what Branch did during his time was great. And he did it twice. When he changed the rules in 1978, passing exploded. Swan, he had a career high. What 800 some yards that year and played on that running game, uh, running team. But you know, Cliff Brass had a pretty good year, he had some pretty good years too. And there was a difference somewhat between uh, the teams, but at the same time, they really were similar. They really were similar. Terry Bradshaw liked to throw the football deep, Swan and Stallworth, right? Al Davis, he really loved to throw the football deep, and Branch was his guy, loved the deep ball. So there's a reason Raider fans had banners on the walls of their stadium that said speed kills and had the number 21 on them. The guy was a world-class sprinter going all the way back to his days when he was at the University of Colorado. And I took a look at his college numbers. Again, they ran the football like everybody else. It was the old Big 8 for you college football fans. If you remember the Big 8, in 1971, he only caught 13 passes. But for 330 yards, a 25-yard average. He ran the football only nine times that season. He had 235 yards and four touchdowns. Averaged 26 yards a rush. Dude averaged 25 yards every time he touched the football that year. All right, then you go over to the pros. He's drafted by Oakland in 72. 74, he takes over 
as being the starter opposite Fred Boletnikoff, another Hall of Famer. And 74 was the first of three straight All-Pro seasons. First team, along with a 77 Pro Bowl year as well. He had 1,092 yards, an 18-yard average. Fast forward to 1976, where he only caught 46 passes. But for 1,111 yards and 12 touchdowns, he averaged 24 yards a catch. You don't see that much these days. I mean, everybody dinks and dunks and throws a lot of short passes. That's what it is these days. But he was an elite receiver that had elite speed, period. Defenses, they were, you know, worrying about the running game and Fred Boletnikoff and, and of course, you know, Boletnikoff, Hall of Famer, but he was not the only one in their receiver core that was. Dave Casper, the tight end, ended up in the Hall of Fame too. Now, of course, Lynn Swan, again, I just keep bringing his name up because of the comparisons. He's a Hall of Famer based on what he did in the playoffs and in those Super Bowls that Pittsburgh played in just as much as his regular season play. I mean, he only played eight years. I don't think he only had 5,000 yards receiving. It cannot be questioned. I mean, he was the first receiver to win MVP in Super Bowl X. He did that. He set records in the Super Bowl. Now, Cliff Branch, he wasn't that bad either. Cliff Branch, he set NFL career playoff records for the most receptions, and receiving yards until some guy named Jerry Rice came along and broke all that up. <laughs> he played in what, actually 22 playoff games and in 20 of those he caught 73 passes for 1,289 yards and five touchdowns. He averaged 17 yards a catch in those games. As far as those other accolades, the rest of them, um, you know, being the all pro and the pro four-time pro bowler, he led the NFL in receiving yards in 74, he twice led the league in touchdown receptions. Oh, he also was on all three of Oakland's Super Bowl winning teams. Yeah, he's got three rings to go with all of that as well. He caught 501 passes for his career, 8,685 yards, and he scored 67 times, uh, 67 touchdown catches. And he averaged 17 yards per catch for his career. That's pretty good. That's Hall of Fame worthy. Okay, and then that was a really beautiful speech, you know, that his sister did for him. Um, and I mean, that, that was Cliff Branch in a nutshell. Uh, he was worthy of it. And I just hate that he wasn't alive to receive and to unveil his bust. I really, really have. But the honor was already given. The honor was given. When Dick Vermeil stepped up to the microphone last for the Hall of Fame speech that he was going to give. I was prepared for him at some point to be bawling his eyes out. And that's the first thing I think of, a very emotional coach, uh, a crier, but you know, really great man, really great man and a great football coach. Now, no matter how many times I watch Super Bowl 15, you know, those the Super Bowl memories, I know what the outcome is going to be. It's not going to come out any different. Philadelphia is not going to beat the Raiders. They lose that game 27 to 10 in New Orleans. Cliff Branch actually scored twice in that game against Vermeil. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Plunkett had a Super Bowl MVP day. Um, all the past couple of shows, we've been talking about some of the greatest teams and dynasties and basically how they came to an end. We talked about the Rams here recently and the Washington football team. And at one point, both of these teams were led by head coach George Allen in 69. Allen had hired Dick Vermeil 
who had been an assistant with uh, Stanford to be the NFL's very first special teams coach. Why? Because Allen had lost a game because of a kickoff return for a touchdown in the playoffs. George Allen was hired by Washington, and eventually, Vermeil he went off to UCLA to be the offensive coordinator in 1970. He also ended up coming back to the Rams as the quarterback coach and special teams coach from 71 to 73. Then back to UCLA again for two seasons as its head coach, taking over for Tommy Prothrow, who at one point was coaching the Rams. That didn't work very well for then-owner Carol Rosenblum. He only lasted, what, two years there? I think two or three. And, of course, Vermeil was hired by the Eagles in 1976 and stayed there until the strike season. Vermeil's legacy and the reason why he's in the Hall of Fame is simply this. Everywhere he went, he had an impact on turning every franchise around that he coached. Just like the other 27 head coaches before him were inducted, that inducted in the Hall of Fame, he did the same thing. He did just that. Uh, you know, they were losers. The teams were losers. They turned them into, he turned them into winners. No, he didn't win a bunch of championships, um, you know, like some of those coaches in the Hall of Fame, but he was a winning head coach nonetheless. He turned around a struggling Eagles franchise that hadn't made the playoffs since they won that 1960 NFL championship. Yeah, it went downhill after that. He retired only to be brought back into coaching with the St. Louis Rams in 1997. They get to the Super Bowl in 1999. And unfortunately for Titans fans here in Nashville, but fortunately for Dick Vermeil and the greatest show on turf, they won probably the most exciting Super Bowl ever played. Then he retired again, only to return a couple more years later for his one final go at it in 2001. And Carl Peterson, the GM of the Chiefs at that time, he hired him. And he got that struggling Chiefs team back on track, got them to a 13-3 and season at one point. And then he retired in 2005 after, what, a 10-6 and season his last year. So wherever he went, his teams won. He did it in high school. He did it at UCLA. He was only there for two years, but they were, what, 15-3-1. and He won the Rose Bowl his last year. And you heard him in his speech. He says <laughs> he was told if they hadn't won, I think, that Rose Bowl, that they probably wouldn't have hired him. But he won it. And here we are. The Eagles, they were in the playoffs four out of the seven seasons, including that Super Bowl appearance when he was in Philly. Um, now, truth be told, he had a losing record in St. Louis before leading them to the Super Bowl in, uh, two, I mean, excuse me, in 1999. They were 13-3 that year. And that's a big turnaround. And then the Kansas City Chiefs, they turned in the winners five years that he coached there. He had a winning record there too. Again, a winner everywhere he went. And you can see it in all of his Hall of Fame speech and how he tried to thank just about any and every coach, uh, player. Stand up. Hey, stand up, Kurt Warner. Well, Kurt Warner was sitting behind him, but, you know, he's, he's telling everybody, stand up, Wilbert Montgomery, running back for the Eagles. Stand up, you know, Wilbert, couldn't do it without you, you know. He was going at every, every front office person or, work, or whoever worked for the team. He was trying to recognize everybody. I can't believe the guy's 85 years old. I forget. He was born in, what, 1935. But, I mean, he, he still has a lot of energy. Um, and, I mean, you could tell in this speech he knew it took more than just him. But kind of like I tell my kids, there's a common denominator when you complain. If you have people around you or if you yourself 
are complaining about problems and it's the same problem everywhere you go if it stinks everywhere you go you probably need to check your own clothes yeah it might be you just might be you but it's the reverse for <laughs> dick Vermeil. he smelled pretty good everywhere he went you know and then he becomes inducted as the 362nd member of the pro football hall of fame and that was really cool Kurt Warner in his Hall of Fame jacket because David Baker no longer is doing this. Um, he stepped down and um, they go out to that cabin and Dick Vermeil is, you know, the cameras are behind him. I, he knew it was coming, but yet and still, that was a beautiful moment. The quarterback that you caped up for to be the quarterback of the team and when nobody else really believed that you had that 5-11 team and 4-12 and team, you know, <laughs> 99, the selection of that quarterback to be your starter turned it all around, and they're both in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's it. References. Thanks to ProFootballReference.com, ProFootballHallOfFame.com, Panthers.com, Montclair.edu. This was a story written on the website about Sam Mills, and it is titled Sam Mills Enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2022. This was dated August 8th, 2022. Packer News, Tom Dombeck, August 6th, 2022. Packers great Leroy Butler enters pro football heaven. That was great. Pro football heaven. It, it is. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is pro football heaven. Thanks, fans, at Pro Football Hall of Fame induction. ESPN.com, story written by Kevin Seifert, June 17th, 2022. And also therams.com. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr., this show is presented by Billy of Sports. Billy of Sports Podcast Network is where we belong. BillyofSports.com. BillyofSports.com. Man, I've been tripping over my words today. Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show or I'll find your house. Remember, next week there's no show. We'll get you on the flippity flip. Week after next. Enjoy preseason football. I'm out. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.